OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome, Nathaniel. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we are at... I'm going to just pick a number because I can't remember the exact number, but this is somewhere in the 50 range of, of interviews. And we're very excited to, uh, to have you here today um, at uh, Ask an Angel, which is part of our uh, supporter fund series. And really excited that uh, we get to chat. We've chatted a few times prior before, um, but there's a few things that I really uh, enjoyed about our conversation and kind of what you guys are doing. Uh, but before we jump into all of those, um, maybe we can... Uh, get you to give us just a bit of a background on yourself. So kind of where you've come from, um, I guess where you're at now and the things that you're looking to do. And then one thing about you that nobody will know. Sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, for having me and, and, uh, you know, for the questions. And so, you know, something, um, you know, as far as my background, um, you know, I'm actually an engineer by, by training and, and an entrepreneur really throughout my, my life. Uh, my, my first company I started in college, Although my first time making money was in middle school, but, uh, you know, we were not incorporated, so I can't, I can't count that. Um, you know, we've been a lifelong entrepreneur. I've also worked for uh, larger companies and so kind of earned my stripes in engineering with a, a, a larger, actually a, a, a Alberta based company named in, in Canada. Um, but then continued my, my path, you know, took over the family business and, and grew it um, to record levels. And we actually sold that business, so the past six years, I've been, um, you know, business owner, an angel investor, an advisor, um, and a, an appointee in uh, economic development, um, and then most recently started Cortado Ventures this year. And then something about me—that was the other thing, right? Something about me nobody will know. Um, that's the that's a good one. So I actually I think. Um, you know, probably some, well, I have, I have five older brothers. So a lot of people are maybe surprised to hear that. I have five older brothers and we all did different things, right? So some of us, we have a, uh, you know, we have an engineer, we have, you know, banker, we have somebody in Hollywood, you know, that's um, uh, doing computer graphics for blockbusters. And so um, I think maybe through that, I kind of saw all the different things that, that people do, you know, uh, for, for a living. And maybe that I, I, feel, I feel like it may have opened my eyes a little bit to, um, all the different things I can be involved in. Any, any sisters or just the family of five boys? Just, just the five boys. So, well, six boys total with, with me. And so, uh, yeah, my, my poor mother is kind of, you know, we, we had different backgrounds, you know, kind of, it was a combined family. And, um, and so I think that was a lot of fun growing up. I never really knew that they were, you know, I just kind of assumed that everybody had a bunch of brothers growing up and, um, kind of figure out later that was pretty, pretty special for us. Oh, that's amazing. I have three other brothers, so I'm a family of four boys as well. So you're obviously got the five, but uh, it, it is a different dynamic. In the little town I grew up in, there was two other families that also had families of four boys. So we actually all hung out together just because there were so many similarities. And as odd as that doesn't sound like you would just hang out with anybody, why you're attracted to some family that had four boys as well. Did you guys face that as well? You're like, we're so different. We better find a family of four guys or five guys to hang out with. Yeah. You know, we, we can only go to places that had like, you know, didn't have any fine China and that you didn't, didn't have anything breakable. Right. So uh, <laughs> yeah, the neighbor, the neighborhood kids, um, you know, definitely we, we spent most of our time outside. So we, we got along with people that were, were good with just being outside and kind of roaming around the neighborhood. That's awesome. Well, I want to touch base on this one job that you had that you were making money that you didn't qualify as being a government-based company, I guess, or uh, maybe give us a little idea of that because those are always exciting stories and they really do help depict kind of the person that's in front of us and, and what they, the great things they've been up to. Well, it might be, uh, it's, it's probably not what, what you're expecting, but maybe that makes it more interesting. I don't know. But so uh, I, I was in middle school and um, this is, this would have been in the, I guess the late, well, the early, early nineties. And so, you know, before, and I was young. And so this before like cell phones and before email was, was ubiquitous. And, um, my parents dropped me off at a hockey camp. And so even though I'm from Oklahoma, I still, uh, uh, 
you know, I actually grew up playing hockey. And so I got dropped off at a hockey camp in, in Minnesota and then my parents were going to go on a trip. And so, um, I wasn't gonna be able to get a hold of them, right? I couldn't just call the house phone and get a hold of them. Well, they, they dropped me off and then later realized that neither one of them remembered to leave me any money. And so I had to find a way to uh, kind of fill in the gaps between the provided meals and, uh, and find a way to pay for, for, for my, my meals. And uh, so I ended up coming up with, up with a scheme where I would like pre-sell pizza by the slice. And so I like take orders throughout the, throughout the dorm, you know, uh, kind of highest bidder, like buy the slice and then collect the money in advance and then, and then order the pizza and then pay for it and then like take my cut and then distribute the slices to the people that prepaid. So, so yeah, and after that, they actually, the camp made a rule that um, campers couldn't do business with each other anymore. And so uh, <laughs> it is, it, to me, is that a necessity, but that's, that's maybe, that was my first uh, time make, you know, making money, I suppose, but. Uh, oh, that's brilliant. You've solved the problem, right? You were like, I got no money. I got to do something or I can just eat the regular two meals a day or I can uh, go out and figure out how I can get around this. So brilliant. <laughs> hey, it works. Uh, and I love those little stories because I think that they really define the individual on uh, are they able to work around problems? Are they able to drive and fix a problem that's in front of them when they get further on in life? Uh, and you're able to do that. And, you know, I've, in lots of interviews I've done, but also just in context of, uh, of entrepreneurs, they'll tell you about a story where they were selling things to students or to people in grade school. Like, oh, I built airplanes. One guy built airplanes and sold them to the kids. So he didn't have to do it. So it, it kind of, it's funny, right? It's uh, it's a good little way that you move through and make your money yeah. and grow, right? Well, and, uh, and also looking back on it, it never occurred to me then to like, try to figure out how to get a hold of my parents or like try to get money from some other adult. I mean, like my mind immediately went to, I need to, you know, get money. I need to find ways to get money from my fellow campers to then, you know, support what I want to get next, you know, so maybe that's somehow uh, instructive on my mindset. Oh, hundred percent. It is hundred percent. So now you're in Oklahoma, uh, you operate, you work, you run everything out of, uh, out of the, um, out of that state, what, uh, what have you found and how does it work in the ecosystem for startups? Because now that you've kind of built and groomed your, through your companies and things that you've done in the past, now you've, you're faced with this whole new ecosystem of being in startup world. Um, is the community built around startups or is this so completely new and you're kind of being a driver in this space? Yeah, I, actually, the, the answer would have been way different 10 and even five years ago. So you know, over the past 10 years, and, and especially over the last five years, um, there have been developments of now we have, you know, uh, accelerators and incubators, co-working spaces, university programs, angel clubs. And so it, there, there, were some, there were some of that, you know, credit where credit's due, there was some of that um, before, but the acceleration and development of that has been, it's been more in the last five years than there was in the previous, you know, 50 years, let's say. And so, uh, and so our our um, perception was this is a great time to start an early stage venture capital fund. And so you know the pipeline's been built, and and so here we are in a position to make those early stage investments. And you know, Oklahoma and then let's say this part of the country has been getting more and more attention, even before COVID, but especially because of COVID. I mean, almost every week I see an article in the Wall Street Journal or elsewhere talking about how some VC fund or famous investor or entrepreneur is moving to the middle of the country or moving to other you know, markets outside of kind of your usual suspects because you can build a company um, much more affordably, which is good for investors and entrepreneurs because they keep more equity. And so um, that's playing out and being accelerated with COVID as well. And we're seeing that, I mean, I, almost every week I talk to an entrepreneur who has moved to Oklahoma um, from some major market because they saw that opportunity and you know with with remote working becoming the norm um, it just made a lot of sense for them to do that. Well it's interesting because we've been chatting with different groups um, cities and in the area in Canada and Ontario and they're coming up with plans to try and figure out how to keep their uh, their people engaged in living in their cities and towns because there's 
I wouldn't say a mass exodus, but there's been a few people more than normal, if you will, uh, a few percent more that are now deciding, hey, I'm going to go move over here because I want more property and I don't want to be in the city. So with that exodus all kind of happening in the U.S., it's folding inwards, I guess, instead of moving elsewhere out to San Fran, to New York, where all the major hubs are for um, startup land or business running. They're spreading into the middle. Is that forcing you guys as a city or town to be figuring out how to expand your town and the way you're operating it? Or is it not that drastic at this point? So you're just kind of dropping in accelerators and incubators to kind of help facilitate um, this influx of, of new people? Well, I, uh, Oklahoma City, um, where I am, is, is especially, I think, well-suited for this because we have no um, topographical features that kind of restrict wh where we are. In fact, Oklahoma City, by area, by just square miles, um, uh, is one of the largest in, in North America. And so by population, not so much. But so, you know, there, there has actually been a lot of that over the decades um, spreading out and finding, you know, the, the cheaper land and developing in the fire areas. But there's, there had been uh, more of a move actually towards the middle and densifying. And so you do see, it's been slowed down this year, but um, because of COVID, but, but it's still, it's still happening, which I think is a testament in and of itself, where you actually see more people seeking to be in the city center and you see more density. And there's, there's, plenty, there's, there's plenty of infill development opportunities um, and that, that's you know, been continuing. And um, so I think, and, and actually I was looking at just the other day, our population has doubled in, I mean, it's, I think in, in the last 20 years or so, don't quote me on that, but it has been a significant um, increase in population, you know, over over just a short number of decades, um, and so it's almost like we're we're built to be to, to be growing. You know, we there's been a lot of uh, investment in infrastructure here and quality of life, economic development, and it's paying dividends. And um, we thought we had kind of hit the peak, you know, but now there's this whole new dynamic of, of a recognition by the investment community and by the business community. And frankly, by even political leadership to say, we need to diversify our economy beyond oil and gas. And so we need to invest in things that will attract other types of industries. And, and we're poised to um, you know, be an enabler and, and a beneficiary of that development. And that's amazing. And it's good that the cities are thinking of this. And I do think a lot of this is coming from obviously the web and the way that um, the stories are getting picked up on unicorns and all of the change that's happening in the startup world. Everybody wants to be a startup. COVID kind of helped accelerate that again, just like in uh, 2007, eight, when the financial crisis happened, there was a big push into, into startup world and trying to expand that. And now there's a lot more funding and dollars that are coming into uh, the startup world versus 10 years ago. So I think that that's really helping accelerate it. How much from a government standpoint, uh, local government versus um, Congress, how much are they pushing down to help uh, pushing money and helping out early stage companies? Yeah, I think um, mo most of what I see is at a statewide level. So you see states that are coming up with um, different incentives um, to promote early stage investing. And, and in fact, um, it, I think it'll be considered in this um, next legislature that starts in Oklahoma. Um, and you, I've seen other states do something similar uh, recently. Um, I, I think with the new administration, I did see recently that there is some uh, idea to um, incentivize early stage investing with the, with the new administration coming in. You know, we'll see if that, that happens. But it, the fact that it's even being thrown about means that it's, you know, on, on top of somebody's mind that's um, in that administration. So, uh, but yeah, we, we, we do see a, a deliberate effort um, in Oklahoma and in other states in this part of the country to incentivize at the state level. But you're also seeing like departments of commerce um, and you're seeing you know, economic development um, agencies in different um, towns that are trying to find their own ways to incentivize, you know, if, if not through, you know, a tax incentive through um, underwriting, you know, development to convert something into a space into co-working location or to you know, bring in somebody who will study um, that local ecosystem to say, what are the sectors where we should invest a lot of time and try to attract 
uh, that type of entrepreneur. And so even if it's not necessarily economic, um, just looking at other ways to leverage the political leadership, I see it happening at a um, some at kind of city and town, like government level. I see it happening um, a lot at the state level. And so um, I think that's maybe where you see um, most of the innovations, kind of the, the government or policy innovations happening is at the state level. And is that, so does that drive a lot more like the companies or the entrepreneurs that would be coming into Oklahoma? Is that more deep tech versus product? Because now you've got distribution and operational issues that can come out of being just in the core, which means that you're pushing outwards. Does that become more co uh, uncost effective, I guess, or it becomes a breakdown. So you're driving in more entrepreneurs that are really looking at deep code, deep tech, where they can be anywhere and it doesn't matter because it's just all online based. Um, is that the types of companies that you're seeing kind of filter their way into uh, the Oklahoma area? Uh, yeah, I, I do see, I do see some of that. I think, um, you know, uh, us recognizing like where we should be spending our time is, uh, is, um, is really important, right? Because just saying we want to have, you know, innovation happen, we want to have entrepreneurs that that's not going to be as productive as saying, where do we have, infrastructure where do we have you know native talent and um kind of institutional knowledge that um is and and what sectors do we already have that are um or that are emer emerging in the state that we can leverage and so you know tulsa recently came out um with a study that identified you know um, drones um, and energy and a couple other areas as being great places to to, to spend um, well, to, to focus on innovation. And so, you know, we have, um, we have a strong, you know, Air Force uh, presence in, in Oklahoma um, and a lot of aerospace companies. And then certainly, you know, energy and, you know, oil and gas, but also beyond oil and gas, but thinking more about tech, right? Not thinking so much about, you know, hardware, but thinking about what kind of deep tech can we deploy? Uh, what kind of AI can we deploy to, um, you know, maximize uh, productivity or cut costs um, or to, you know, address environmental impacts, but with application in energy. And so in some cases, yeah, you may see, you know, kind of, you know, deep tech, um, but then applied to, um, you know, applied to agriculture, applied to areas that where you see a lot of um, success or you see a lot of, you know, sectors that are already developed here. Um, you know, so and then also we, we there's kind of you know, manufacturing and logistics, you know, transportation, and so because where we are and kind of the, the the major highways that are kind of the, you know we're a crossroads of some major highways. Um, there's a lot of um, interest in transportation, so a lot of times that that manifests as hard tech, you know, and so um, hard tech with kind of a SaaS platform, um, we're seeing some of that, and um, which makes sense. So all those things make sense where you're saying. Hey, I see this trend happening in New York or San Francisco, whatever I see. But what does that mean? What does that look like if we were to take some of that same skill set and apply it in Oklahoma? Hundred percent, and I think that really defines the area eventually too, right? So then you know where you're getting that type of AI, the type of developers, or the people that entrepreneurs that are going to come into that sector and kind of expand it. Um, and it kind of goes on the premise too around cities and towns, like. Um, once you start to define like what San Francisco is all about and where it's, what it builds up and New York is building up, all the towns have to be unique identifiers for themselves as well. Like, what are we good at? What do, what do we need help in? Uh, you know, we've got cities outside of Toronto on the GTA where you've got really deep tech going on in Hamilton. They're doing a lot of, uh, um, they've got structures set up for Bitcoin mining. They've got a lot of deep tech that's really fit into there because like you said, infrastructure costs are cheaper. They've got the university there, which is a, a, a pretty big university. Um, so once you start to segment that in, then all of those businesses all start going there because they can see that they're gonna get resources, they're gonna get PhDs, they're gonna get AI, they're gonna get support. So then that hub just keeps building and building because that's where that emphasis was. Uh, whereas you go out a little bit further, you get in Niagara Falls and now all of a sudden, uh, you've got a bigger change in there because you've got wine country, so different tech that's building in over there, so different entrepreneurs. So I think you start to see the across the cities and countries that where you're going to start emphasizing and being in Oklahoma, I guess, you've got to pick 
the companies that you feel are going to better fit in your portfolio based on what the expansion can occur from where they are to going outwards. Uh, because I believe one of the things that you guys were looking at is trying to focus more on Oklahoma-based companies. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So we, we definitely, um, you know, any companies that, that are here or that want to move here for a reason, right? So you know, we look at that go-to-market strategy and the product market fit, and we kind of ask ourselves, you know, why, why us? Why Oklahoma? And how can we help give that company an unfair advantage because of our knowledge? You know, my partners and I have all built companies in Oklahoma in different sectors. So how can we leverage that to give that company unfair advantage? How does them being located here give them an unfair advantage? And so, and those answers generally are going to tie into, you know, there's the fact that they're operating in one of those verticals. Um, you know, again, whether it's software, hard tech, um, you know, if, if the use case or if one of the use cases, kind of the beachhead, so to speak, is in a vertical that's strong here, then it would make a lot of sense for them to, 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 to be located in Oklahoma for access to customers and channel partners. I love it. So while you guys are kind of building out your fund and figuring out the types of companies, I kind of want to pull back to where you started with all of this and how much of your past experiences are really helping you today. Um, and I believe uh, you spent some time in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. That's right. How much of that experience do you feel just the way it's structured, the way it works, and then going in and building your own company and then selling it? How much of these experiences do you find really transfer into what you guys are doing today? Yeah, I, I see. I see so much. You know, uh, anyway, we we can all be lucky if we feel like we're being fully you know, utilized and fulfilled and kind of bring our experiences to, to our work and I'm in a fortunate position to, to you know, to have that because I even have some background in, in politics and I feel like a lot of, you know, I feel like what we're, what we're doing is like a campaign, right? Like we have a story to tell. Um, we have, you know, stakeholders to align uh, and it's a bit of a sprint to say like, we're going to raise the fund and then we're going to find people that think like we do and, bring people on, on, onto our team. And so whether that be you know, investors, stakeholders, or entrepreneurs that, um, that, that see that vision. Um, and yeah, I think uh, background is as, as a business owner and operator and entrepreneur, you know, I've been funded as a business owner, I've been funded with private equity um, as well as, you know, family office and direct institutional. So the different kind of colors of money and uh, the, sim the similarities and differences um, and how, they all kind of fit in um, together. I think that's been um, very helpful. But then also just kind of seeing like how, seeing it from the other side of the table and, um, and knowing, you know, knowing what entrepreneurs is, is going through and um, having it's the, the empathy, but also um, maybe being able to be helpful and say like, I know that when I was in those shoes, I was really thankful when somebody gave me that feedback and, um, so I think that is, is, is informing a lot of what we do. You know, as far as like the Air Force background, uh, I certainly have a, a different uh, sleeping pattern than I maybe did and, and a, a less, a, a less well-made bed than I did uh, at those <laughs> times. But um, certainly having, um, being organized and having, you know, uh, um, so situational leadership is something they talk about a lot, especially you know, kind of in the officer ranks where you um, like knowing when it's appropriate, how, how close to lean in on your know, micromanaging versus pulling back. And, and um, there's a lot of time spent in that, but also just the communication, the organization um, and the expectation to perform. Those are things that absolutely carry through because, you know, we're all, especially when you have a distributed workforce and where, you know, it's, it's very kind of, what we're doing is very decentralized, right? You know, um, you have, we have investments with a number of companies and certainly we'll have more. So there's a lot of um, expectation of, you know, people are going to execute on their jobs. How do we communicate what those expectations are, but then how do we enable them to do the best that they can? Um, those are all kind of features of, of what we do. We're not just, we're not just one company that is, you know, very centralized. Um, and so I think, Th those things are, are informed by a lot of the experiences I've had. So did you take, like taking the, the Air Force structure, the discipline, all of these key elements that you go through that repetitive nature, I'm assuming that there's a lot of that, even though you may not realize it at the time, but 
you take that and you find that when you're working with companies and you see this disorganized, um, not moving in the direction that their plans are saying or not validating things, do you find that that kind of comes out more and you're almost trying to create a structure and say, hey, look, we need to scratch this and do this all over again. This is how you have to look at something. Because I find that even when we work with a lot of entrepreneurs at the beginning, that is not further along, they find their groove. But at the beginning, it's just this big discombobulated process mm -hmm. of just taking everything in and trying to do whatever they can to keep moving forward and not realizing that all of those things may actually be causing congestion and not helping them move forward fast enough. So do you find that you guys get to do a lot more hands-on and dive in and help them kind of build their way up to that next investment? Uh, or are you yeah. kind of sitting on the sidelines? Well, I think, yeah, knowing uh, the, the right level of structure um, and then where, where to focus, right? So being able to have, you know, some of it's just experience and um, others, is, you know, when, when you're in the middle of it and when you're trying to build something, it's very tempting to be like, I'm going to do everything because by golly, I'm going to just do whatever it takes to be successful. But then you can kind of be your own worst enemy because if you just did the most important thing amazingly and then everything else was like a C minus, like that's probably better than doing everything at like B minus level, right? And so, um, but then like picking what that is and then having the discipline to stick to it and know why you're sticking to that um, is an important feature from, you know, from those experiences. Uh, but, you know, we also can sometimes see, you know, analysis paralysis or like too much structure, you know, um, and, you know, that, that, that happens less, but there's, there's, I think there's definitely a value in you got to do it. Right. I mean, and so actually there's this saying in the air force that hope is not a plan, you know, like just saying that, like, I hope, you know, we're, we're going to make this big structure and have this kind of beautiful like presentation and this like great set of advisors and, you know, it, like at some point you need to actually just like make the plan and execute and just like do the next step, build the thing, you know, get that first customer. Um, and so there's a bit of an art to that as well um, and knowing where to strike that. And do you guys spend, like, is there a good amount of time when you guys make an investment? And, and maybe you can describe a little bit about how that investment works when you find a company like, what is that next process? Is it um, deep dive, you're spending time like a consultant side of things, um, or you're just kind of making that investment and then coaching along as you go. Is there something further you're diving into to really help these companies expand and get to that growth stage? Yeah, we try to really um, get to know the entrepreneur, which, you know, Zoom in some ways makes that easier or harder. I mean, you, you, you get to visit with more of a team, you know, um, because it's easy to get on a Zoom call, but you don't have the face-to-face -face element. But, um, we certainly do spend a lot of time trying to know the entrepreneur and their, you know, motivations, um, and really what's, you know, what's, what's, what's driving them, what, where are they strong, where are they weak, how self-aware they are. Um, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot to that because a uh, lack of self-awareness means you're not going to see your, your blind spots. What, once we feel like that, the, you know, the, the big rocks, the big things um, are there as far as the team the, and the idea um, and the market, then there is a period of getting to know, um, getting to know that, that entrepreneur. And, you know, we will spend some time through that um, before we actually move into the, the due diligence. And so, and we, and we do spend a good amount of time on the technical diligence in terms of looking at, I mean, if it's software, um, can it scale? How is the architecture um, sufficient to be able to scale and do what they want it to do? Um, you know, if it's more, uh, and we also spend time visiting with, with customers, potential customers, customers that passed and finding out, is it something that they love? You know, we, we want to find, we want to invest in companies that built something that their customers just have to have. And um, so having that candid conversation um, is a really important part of a process because we can be in love with something and, and just think the world of the team. Um, but if the, if the customer response is not there, then that, that's going to be a stopping point for us. Now I said that if there is still high conviction around the team, as we get to know, as we get to know them, we know that plan, plan A is, is, is rarely going to be the thing that actually works. And so the ability of an entrepreneur to pivot to plan B and C and D 
is actually even more important than just having the kind of beautiful plan A. And so um, it's actually not necessarily a death knell for to, to see that the product just isn't there. Um, in some cases, we may want to be in a position to say, have you looked at you know, applying your technology in this way or, or this kind of customer demographic? Um, and I think you know, that, that discovery process and seeing how that, that team and how that entrepreneur reacts to that feedback and is able to pivot is, is really important to us. I love it. You mentioned um, uh, past clients. What I like about this is that not only you're focusing on the clients that are using the system, you're finding out why customers didn't use the system. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys might actually probably may be able to get them to convert back and use it eventually because you're doing that reach out. Um, but when you are having that discussion, what are you finding or what are the reasons that they're backing away? Is it a financial thing? Is it they just weren't qualified enough? Uh, or was it they just went with a competitor? Like, what do you kind of build around stats around that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, sometimes we see that it's maybe just like not a, a tech stack fit, you know? And so like, okay, well, once we have the integration built out, that'll solve for that. And so that, that's good. Um, other times it's something where the, um, the, the benefit of the product is just not that great, you know, like, yeah, it works, but it's the adoption versus the benefit. And it's, 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 and it's really, sometimes it's not just a straight up like cost benefit analysis. I mean, it's tempting to think that like, well, if, you know, if the cost benefit analysis is a go, then, then it should, it should sell. But a lot of times it's just the, the, the adoption hurdle because you may have managers that say like, this is amazing. All of my associates should use this, but if the associates, there are the, the technicians or the people that are supposed to use it don't like it, then guess what? It's just not going to work, you know, even if the numbers are there. And so, um, so trying to find out if there's a disconnect and sometimes seeing that there's a disconnect between, yeah, the manager loves it, but for some reason just can't get the, the people on the ground to, to use it if, that, if that's applicable. So we see that, you know, sometimes. Um, and then I think, you know, and sometimes we hear feedback about, we're just not sure about the viability of the company, you know, not sure if they're going to, you know, love, love the idea, love the tech, everything there checks out, but then just worried about, is that company going to be able to um, scale up and are they going to be around for 10 years, you know? And so, and, and that's actually also some feedback that we maybe are okay hearing because like, well, we can help solve that, you know, if we can help them get uh, funded, then, then we can actually help solve that issue. But if it's an adoption issue or if it's kind of that, that um, you know, do they love it? Is the benefit there? If, 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 that's, if that's the issue, which is kind of a, we hear, we hear those four things, maybe probably evenly spread, then that's hard to overcome. And that's good that, like you said, when they're, they're having, and I've seen this issue quite a few times where the, where the business doesn't want to put mission critical in the hands of a startup. So they're worried by, are these guys going to be here in two years? And am I going to have to revamp everything and redo all this process to get everybody, all my associates or my team integrated into this platform? Mm -hmm. So it's good that you guys are doing this because you're actually becoming a support mechanism for that because then they see that um, the VC money is actually supporting the outcome of this company. So they might be more inclined to say, hey, you know what? Maybe you guys are making me feel a bit more comfortable. Um, we could do something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. That's great. And you don't hear that very often. So uh, I think that that's a unique uh, piece that you guys are doing, that you're not just diving into existing customers, you're, you're diving into the ones that didn't cross the line. And uh, getting that feedback is hugely important to making the decision to invest, but also a, a decision if this company can scale, um, if they're really solving a, a major problem. So kudos. I think that's, uh, that's your engineering background. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you, you know, you can't, you can't just uh, go off of survivor bias, right? You have to find yeah. out what happened to the one that didn't make it. No, I like it. That's great. So, so now just to kind of uh, shift things over, I wanted to jump into, we have uh, uh, some rapid fire questions. So we'll jump into those. And then there's a, a couple more questions that we have from there. Um, but uh, we'll jump into those if you're ready for them. Yeah. Let's hear it. All right. 
Um, how did you get started in investing into startups? I invested in a good friend of mine in a, about six years ago, the technology that he was developing. So it was, I just believed in him and, and uh, just, yeah, that was my first investment. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite part of investing? Uh, learning new ideas. Sure. Like just seeing that, seeing all the new cool things that are out there and that's my favorite part. Okay. Um, how many companies do you invest in per year? We are on a pace. They're still very young, but we're on a pace to be about 10 per year. Perfect. It's huge. <laughs> um, okay. Any verticals you like to focus on? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, energy, aerospace, ag, biotech, fintech, insuretech, and um, logistics. Okay. It's a good mix. I like that. I like that. Uh, when you guys are doing uh, your due diligence, is there any specific requirements that you guys need to have in order to make an investment? Um, I always like to see a pro forma. I know that's kind of a, uh, a touchy point because pro formas can be totally made up, but I'll put it this way. If you can't make up a good looking pro forma, well, that's a bad sign, right? If you can't logic your way into a good looking performer, then how on earth is reality ever going to live up to that? Well, and you need targets. So you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like it. Uh, what's your timeline for investments? Cause you've talked about doing some, uh, a lot of pre-work before you make an investments, which I think is brilliant. And a lot of times you don't get that option to spend time learning about a company, meeting a team. So what does that look like for you guys when you're making an investment? Yeah, we've had uh, we've we've pulled off a pre-seed in a matter of, of weeks. If it's if it's um, again, you know, pre-seed, there's you're really just kind of yes no on a couple of issues. Um, you know, Series A is probably more like three months. You know, uh, the full the full bit. But I'd say on average, uh, probably about you know six to eight weeks. Okay. Period. It's a good time. Uh, on your DD materials, are there any? Any things that you want to make sure that you see on paperwork or team CEO, is there something that stands out that you really get behind when you're making that investment? I think uh, how that team entrepreneur like came upon that solution, you know, what is, what is the story? You know, what, what were they working on? That, what problem did they solve and say, aha, I got to quit my day job and do this. You know, that, that, that Genesis story is uh, really important to us. I like that. Yeah. What got them to put this on their plate a hundred percent. Do you look to lead rounds? We do. Um, it's not a, a, a must criteria for us, but um, you know, we do expect and will be soon leading or co-leading some rounds. Okay. Uh, do you have any preferred terms, pref shares, common shares, safes? Um, we do safes and convertibles um, in at the, you know, pre-seed and seed level. And, um, you know, to me, a typical feature is kind of your, your Y Combinator, like Coolie Go type, uh, type terms. But um, conversion, I think, you know, conversion caps um, are, are important for us. That's just kind of that, uh, I mean, for, you know, frankly, it's this way of, of getting credit, you know, by protecting against dilution um, on that next round. But then um, we always look for, on, on a price round, look for a board seat or board observer rights. And, you know, and pro rata rights are another kind of, you know, must have. Okay. Um, and do you do follow on investments percentage? Yeah. In fact, our, our, our default is, is probably a follow on. You'll actually expect to invest in, um, you know, dozens of companies at the pre-seed stage and then follow on as, as they hit certain milestones. Um, so we'll set aside 40 to 50% of the fund for follow on. Awesome. It's a lot higher than most. So that's good. I do agree that you need that, especially when a pandemic comes around you can uh, need some cash to dip in there. Uh, outside that, are there any other ways that you guys look to help startups outside of just the cash and the deep dives at the beginning? Are there other facets that you like to help with those companies as they grow and move forward? Well, we, we always like to connect them to customers. And so our, our 40 plus investors so far, are almost all business owners throughout Oklahoma and the region. 
which is part of our secret sauce because we have the built-in customers and built-in you know referrals, right? And so, in fact, I'd say out of the forty-five investors, there's probably twenty-five sectors you know represented. You know, certainly uh, fifteen or more. And um, and a lot of times we'll actually connect them with the customer before we invest. You know, it's kind of a way to one to see how they do pitching a customer and how that customer reacts to it, but then also to prove to ourselves that we can be helpful. So if we can prove to ourselves that we can help that company, then that's that unfair advantage, you know, talked about. So um, that's certainly a way channel partners, same way. Um, and then just, you know, my partner, David Woods, he, he, he has a career in strategic uh, and executive coaching. And so he'll actually work, um, you know, as we get further along with these companies, we'll work with them to develop um, that skill set and that growth. Very cool. Is there a company or two that you want to share or highlight um, that you think uh, you really see these people doing a good job? Yeah, I think, um, well, I'll just be, you know, so recently I think we, we shared on our website and our social media um, a company called Mido Materials. They, um, they, so the Haley Keith, the uh, CEO, she was featured in Forbes 30 under 30 last week. Um, they also, you know, were, uh, were recognized as a, as a top startup and have, um, they, they have a graphene application, you know, additive manufacturing. Um, it's been, you know, it's been piloting very well and, um, their growth has been, uh, with, you know, that their customer pipeline is pretty outstanding and their technology is just something that it's been kind of the Holy grail of trying to figure out how to use graphene in a practical application in manufacturing. Um, and they figured it out. And so, um, Loved seeing what they're doing. And then uh, a company called Social Wise um, that we invested in. We recently were featured because uh, uh, Mark Cuban was also an investor, uh, lead investor in that. And uh, they are finishing uh, a pilot in Dallas. Um, it's a job tech and FinTech platform. So, you know, connects governments and nonprofits and private sector with, you know, underserved um, employees and, uh, you know, for, for gig work and, you know, blue collar work and others. And so um, they've, they've gotten some well-deserved attention with their very novel um, application. Um, and so, you know, tremendous opportunity for them and, and as well as social impact. So love seeing what they're doing too. Awesome. Those do sound like pretty cool companies. How do you spell the first one? Just so that I have this URL down. Yeah. So Mito Materials, M-I-T-O. And then uh, social wise actually has a unique spelling too. So social spelled the usual way, but wise is W Y Z E. All right, done. We'll take a look at those. Uh, okay, so the uh, thank you for that. Very informative. Uh, so the the next question I have is that throughout the time that you've been working with startups, you've been uh, investing in them. You were a startup. Is there a is there a story like we look for this heartfelt story of something that you couldn't believe it? You mentioned um, with Mido that they came up with this uh, great way to to, to work uh, and build out their product. Female founder. Um, is there a story like just beyond all odds they just were able to crush it, or they ended up having to fail because they couldn't get around the corner? Any story that just comes to mind that you're thinking like, man, this would be a good one to share that uh, people can learn from. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, you know, Cortado Ventures is, is so young that there's, we don't have those stories, you know, yet, but I can you know, tell one from one of my angel investments. Um, actually, the, the first one I did with my good friend. And so um, this is a, a company that the, the technology, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chemical that can be used um, in agriculture or um, in energy and specifically in mining um, or also uh, in medical application. So as a disinfectant, um, uh, or you know, even as a kind of antibiotic. So it's, it's one of these products that's been, it, it, every test they do, you know, with the FDA and, and USDA, um, it's just off the chart, you know, it tests very well, the, the, it works. The point is like the product absolutely works, but trying to get to a point to commercialization, like that journey, I mean, that, that, that to me, like looking back at that, I made that investment because it's like, I know this guy has a big road ahead of him, and who knows, it's really early, who knows what's gonna play out, but I believe in him because he's gonna just not give up and he's gonna find a way to make it work. Well, that, that's absolutely played out now. And you know, the, the key pieces that fell in actually was you know, bringing in um, you know, a, a commercial minded person 
um, into the, the board level. And that was actually a bit of a turning point. And so um, I, you know, that perhaps there's some lesson, lesson in there. And uh, whether the lesson is, you know, that tenacity and creativity and ability to keep, keep going, especially when you know, like the thing works, but trying to find that traction and like, don't give up, but also, you know, having those right skill sets and having somebody who um, has successfully commercialized things, especially if they've done that in a, if a couple of different unrelated areas, you know, that person is absolutely just invaluable to have, um, I mean, as an investor, as, you know, a, you know, for board leadership at a senior position. And so, uh, but, but seeing how, how far they've come and then just the last year, done more in the last year than I think the previous, you know, six or seven years combined. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that's, it, it's, a it's a tough road, but if you can take some of those lessons at, as an investor, but also as the entrepreneur, um, then I think that pays dividends. So it's the resilience and, and being able to stick behind the, the product to build and then look at areas of weakness and find where those strengths can be improved on, right? Uh, finding that product person or the commercialization person made a big difference. So uh, yeah, a ton of learning in that. And you know what? It doesn't happen overnight. So if it took you six years to get there, you know, Netflix wasn't a, a masterful uh, Netflix in one week. They, they took over a decade, almost two decades to become the size of Netflix. So, you know, you may not start off the, doing the same thing on day one that you're doing 10 years from now, but as long as you've got a way to pivot and, and understand your environment, you, you have the opportunity to grow, right? Absolutely. I love it. All right, now we're going to just turn a little bit to the personal side. So uh, your favorite sports team. Um, well, if I, if, I, if I can go beyond pro, then I'd just say, you know, the, the University of Oklahoma Sooners. But uh, pro, I'd say uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, NBA. So very proud of our uh, NBA team. Yeah, they're a good team. OKC is uh, pretty good. I'm, uh, I, I think I'm a partial fan just because they've always had a very good, strong team. They weren't the Raptors last year, but they, were, uh, they, they really bring so much value to the game um, compared to Lakers and all these other uh, teams. I just always enjoyed the style that OKC and they went all the way. They played a really strong game. So uh, big fan. I actually think they should have went all the way to the finals, but yeah, well, we got, uh, I mean, the, the, the players that have, that have come out of our franchise um, are, are pretty incredible and it might be a bit of a, of a rebuilding, but you know, got to have a part of that long game, right? I mean, you can maybe take some lessons from entrepreneurship and apply it to uh, being a, a, you know, a fan. Yep. Completely agree. Um, okay, so does that mean you're a Raptors fan too or no? Mm. No? Are you sure? Um, all right, so favorite movie and what character would you play in that movie? Um, actually, like uh, Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. Yep. And um, I don't think I would ever say this about any other Matthew McConaughey movie. But I, I would play him. I mean, you know, because yep. he's the main guy and he gets to do cool stuff and travel through space and time. And, um, but yeah, I probably, there's probably no other Matthew McConaughey movie where I'd be like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a cool guy. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the character. But yeah, Interstellar, I, I love. Yeah, that actually was a really good movie. I have to, there's like a whole list now of movies I got to go back and watch because of all the recommendations. But uh, I did like Interstellar and I remember it at the very end was the, when there were the rooms that were all caving in and dividing and he had to make choices. Um, that was the best part of the movie because yeah. the big puzzle. And uh, I swear I was probably yelling at the screen, no, go this way and whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty intense. So a uh, great movie, great movie. Love the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I think that uh, we, we've uh, topped it off. I think you brought us through a great journey uh, through all the things that you've kind of done and where you got to today. We got a little bit personal on finding out your favorite movie. And, uh, well, we, I kind of guessed that that was your favorite sports team, but still glad to know that that was it. And, and, uh, but I think at the end of it all, I think we learned lots. As always, I take lots of notes. Uh, so I'm a fan, learned lots here. And uh, very exciting what you guys are doing in, in Oklahoma. I think that... Uh, I love the fact that you've got 
uh, a whole group of Oklahoma entrepreneurs investing in the fund and you guys are building out and investing in localized talent and bringing in some great companies that can kind of spread across the United States and globally. So uh, kudos to you guys for all the great things you've been doing. And uh, we hope to get you out to some of our events. Uh, so you guys can check out some of the uh, global companies that we're showcasing, uh, maybe even get you on a panel. But uh, outside that, again, thank you very much for, uh, for all of this. And the last thing that we like to do is we like to leave you the last word. So uh, anything you want to say to investors or to entrepreneurs, the show's yours. So uh, take it away. Yeah, I think uh, now now is an exciting time to um, I mean to be investing in startups, right? I mean we're seeing technological disruption and adoption, and the rate of startups reach you know record levels. So um, I you know this this is a, a great time and exciting time to be an investor and see all the things that are happening. So and really appreciate the entrepreneurs that stick their neck out there, and uh, I know you know they hear a lot of no's. But uh, but just know that every no means you're one step closer to a yes. So really appreciate everybody that's that's part of that that magic. Love it. You're right. There was one inter- one guy that we worked with and invested, and in, he said that he counted he had 400 no's before he got a yes. <laughs> oh man! And they sold their company for uh, I think it was a billion dollars um, years later. So now 400 people that are you know kicking themselves. At- <laughs> so. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Takes time, but mm-hmm. if you got the right mindset and the drive, you're going to make it there. So, but thank you very much again for your time. It was brilliant. We'll let you know when everything's done and ready we'll chip it out and uh, we'll help promote it and push it across the lines and we'll keep you posted in the, uh, probably the upcoming month. Great. Well, thanks JP. I really enjoyed it. Oh, that was brilliant. So Nathaniel from uh, Oklahoma city, man, I love the fact that he's got this great background in the air force. Um, and how he brought that into the companies that he's built and what he's sold, uh, engineering side, um, the five brothers, very cool background and learn from that as well. And then just all the great things that they're doing in, uh, in, in uh, Oklahoma, OKC, by working and focusing on the localized talent and helping them grow and then utilizing all of the investors and entrepreneurs to keep growing that fund and growing it and making that investment. So fantastic. And love the fact that uh, Interstellar is one of his favorite movies. Great flick. So um, anyways, thanks a lot.